this last uh, couple of days, Tammy and I have been uh, speaking at a conference, speaking three times at a, at a conference on relationships, and uh, we kind of got slotted in in the, in the kind of the final two weeks there to do the talk on sex. Now, I started with this story because I thought it was important that they knew where I was coming from. In sixth grade, um, they did the sex talk in school. Remember those? Well, in my school, the girls got to watch a video, and the boys got Mr. Snyder and a chalkboard. <laughs> Mr. Snyder was not the best artist in town. I'm sitting next to Lee Daniels, who's the biggest cut-up in the world. Mr. Snyder's drawing physical anatomy on the chalkboard. I looked over at Lee, and I said, Lee, what is that? He said, I don't know, and we started laughing, got thrown out of sex class, never got the sex education class at all, and then I'm asked to speak on sex. <laughs> so I set it up, I kind of give myself a little disclaimer. You know, sometimes you're unprepared for what God is doing in your life. We like to say here, you can be in the middle of a miracle and not even know it. God is working in your life. You may not be prepared for what God wants to do and how God wants to take you to the next level of your spiritual walk, but just hold on and trust God. Let God take you down that road, down that path that's going to lead you to a real victory in your life. We're talking about move. In this last uh, several weeks before we actually move, we're talking about people who have been moved or are moving by the Spirit of God into a new level of spiritual experience, just like we as a church are moving to a new level of spiritual experience and physical opportunity. So in just a few weeks, we're going to be in that new facility. And that's not the end of the journey. That's just uh, another step along the way of what God is doing. Here's a couple of things I want to remind you of. And this one, this first one is critical. Don't be afraid to ask for really big things. Don't be afraid to ask for really big things. I was reflecting back. I just got the third quarter financials from our CPA on our church, and I was looking those over and kind of comparing those to October, November going in there. And it hit me, we've been in business at that particular time, been doing church that particular time for about 19 months. And on that, that sheet, it recorded that we had at that particular time, almost $4 million in assets. I mean, that's hilarious. Isn't it hilarious? Can you give God the glory for that? I mean, think about it. God has literally just handed uh, opportunity and land and building to us, and it's amazing. In that, in that 20 months, uh, 21 months we've been existing. We have not only started this, but we've started a work in Abu Dhabi, United Emirates. Who does that? We have a church in Big Bear. It kind of all makes sense, right? Abu Dhabi, Big Bear. You can tell there was no strategic plan there. It had to be the Holy Spirit of God because nobody would come up with that idea. We've seen over 100 people baptized since we started. To God be the glory for that. I mean, you think about it. I mean, give God the glory. You know, you've got you've to stop and think about what God is doing. What God is doing here, God is doing in your life, and God wants to do multiplied over times. The other thing is that relentless faith is not optional in the Bible. The Bible never, you know, kind of puts a stamp of approval on the person who says, I don't really need a lot of faith. I just want to get into heaven. 
I don't need to trust God for great things. No, Jesus always honored the one who honored him with great faith, relentless kind of faith. The other thing you notice in Scripture is that God is always on the move. Holy Spirit is always moving in Scripture. Never static, never stagnant, always moving in our life. God wants to move us always in touching lives and changing lives wherever we might go. The passage we have before us today is found in 2 Kings chapter 2 and beginning in verse 1. It's a story of a prophet by the name of Elijah who has become the mentor and the guide, the leader, to a younger prophet by the name of Elisha. Now don't let those two names confuse you as we study this scripture. There's Elijah and Elisha. And it's a pretty amazing story when you start to think about how God takes these two and uses them in a magnificent way. Beginning in verse 1, it came to pass, the Bible says, when the Lord was about to take Elijah to heaven in a whirlwind. Now what was happening was, for some reason, God chose to separate out Elijah, and he was not going to taste physical death, but somehow God was going to rapture him out of that present world, And that in that whole process, Elisha was going to become the recipient of a double portion of his spirit. So let's see what it says. But Elisha went to Elisha from Gilgal. So they're going in, and I want you to notice because there's several locations that are moving around here. Gilgal is is that first location. It says, we're going to, we went with Elisha from Gilgal, and Elisha said to Elisha, stay here, please, for the Lord has sent me to Bethel. Now you wonder, why is Elijah saying, stay here? And look what the response is. Stay here, for the Lord has sent me to Bethel. But Elisha says, as the Lord lives and as your soul lives, I will not leave you. I'm not going anywhere. If you're going, I'm going. If you stop, I'll stop. It's a picture of how we are to follow God. When God moves, you move. When God stops, you stop. So they went down, it says, to Bethel. Now the sons of the prophet who were at Bethel came out to Elisha. Now this was some kind of a a school of of the prophets. They were learners. They They were observers. They were probably in some ways highly opinionated and really all wanted to, all were just kind of wannabe prophets, the truth of it. So they came down to Elisha and they said to him, do you know the Lord will take away your master from over you today? And he said, yes, I know it, shut up. (laughs) Well, it doesn't quite say that, but it's kind of the idea, right? I know that, but just be quiet. So it was common knowledge Elijah was leaving among the prophets and among others. He says, you know, your master's leaving. He says, no, be quiet. I know what's going on. Be quiet. And it says here in verse 4, then Elijah said to him, Elisha, stay here, please, for the Lord has sent me to Jericho. But he said, as the Lord lives and as your soul lives, repeat it after me, what? I will not leave you. You know, that's what Jesus said to you. I'm not going to leave you. I'm not going to leave you as orphans. I'm not going to leave you without the promise of the Holy Spirit. I'm not leaving you. Sometimes in your Christian walk, you feel like God is nowhere to be found. Have you had those moments? God, where are you? You pray, you feel like your prayers are bouncing off the ceiling. You say, God, where are you? He says, don't worry, I've not left you. You may not be aware of my presence right now, but I have not left you. I will not leave you. 
So it says the two of them went on. And verse 7, and the 50 men of the sons of the prophets, verse 7, went and stood facing them at a distance while the two of them stood by the Jordan. Now Elijah took over his mantle, rolled it up, struck the water, and it was divided this way and that so that the two of them crossed over on dry ground. So now you're seeing these miracles start to unfold here in the last days of, of the prophet Elijah. And it was so when they'd crossed over that Elijah said to Elisha, ask what I may do for you before I'm taken up. You know, it's interesting because God is always asking us, what do you want me to do for you? And we always seem to ask for small things, or we think, well, I don't want to bother God, or, you know, what, does he really care, or he hasn't come through in the past. Even Jesus said to his disciples, up until now you've asked nothing in my name. Ask that your joy might be made full. We need to start asking God for great things, believing God for great things. Stop relying on our own strength and our own flesh and trust in the Lord with all of our heart. Lean not on our own understanding, Scripture says, but in all ways acknowledge Him and He will direct your path. We have to learn how to die to self and be raised up to walk in newness of life. So he says, ask what you will, and Elisha is not afraid to ask. You ever known people that are unafraid to ask? They'll ask you for anything and everything. They don't really care. Yeah, I'm, can I have this? Can I have that? Isn't it funny God honors that? God honors it. Look what it says here. All right, Elisha says, and please give me a double portion of your spirit. May it be upon me. In other words, all the miracles you've done, Elisha, all the miraculous supernatural activity that God has worked in your life, I'd like a double portion of that. Pretty strong statement, isn't it? Pretty powerful kind of a, of a request. If you go back and you study it, depending on how you count them, Elisha did anywhere from seven to nine miracles. And Elisha did somewhere between 13 and 15 miracles, depending on how you count them. It's almost a double amount of miracles that are recorded in the life of Elisha. God honored his request. Verse 10, so he said, you have asked a hard thing. Now, does that mean that it can't be given? Well, actually, the Hebrew uh, idea here is not that it can't be given. It's asked that, remember, the burden and the blessing both carry a heavy weight. The burden and the blessing, they carry a heavy weight. Whenever you ask God to bless you, remember, it carries the weight of a burden, too, because it carries responsibility. Some people say, I just want God to bless me in this way and that way. Are you ready for carrying that blessing? Because it's going to be weighty. It's going to challenge you in some different areas of your life. You've asked a hard thing. Nevertheless, if you see me when I'm taken up from you. In other words, don't take your eye off of me and you'll see the miraculous. Jesus says the same thing. Don't take your eye off of me and you'll see the miraculous. Don't worry about your circumstances. Don't worry about the problems. You see, and all along the way, we're going to see a little bit later, but all along the way, there's all these distractions. Sons of the prophets come up twice and they say, oh, you know, your master's leaving. I know, I know, be quiet. Your master's leaving. I know, I know, be quiet. Then there's the 50 sons of the prophets and they're, they're just watching, they're facing, they're staring him down. Have you ever noticed how people who don't believe 
as deeply as you believe, they stare you down and say, is God going to come through? Your God, where's your God now? And that's what you see happening in this scripture. Notice what it says. Verse 11, then it happened as they continued on and talked that suddenly a chariot of fire appeared uh, with horses of fire and separated the two of them. And Elijah went up by a whirlwind into heaven and Elisha saw it and cried, my father, my father, the chariot of Israel and its horsemen. So he saw him no more. And he took hold of his own clothes and he tore them into pieces. You see, he was getting ready to pick up the mantle of, a, of Elijah. What covered him then was not adequate. What covers you in your humanness is not adequate. You need the supernatural. We are to put on the robe of righteousness. We are to put on the power of the Holy Spirit. We are to be filled and living in that power. And he says he tore his clothes into two pieces. He took up the mantle of Elijah that had fallen from him. He went back and he stood on the bank of the Jordan. And he took the mantle of Elijah that had fallen and struck the water and said this. Now where is the Lord God of Elijah? He put God on the spot. God, where are you? Have you ever put God on the spot in your prayers? There have been times where I've stood up here before you and I've said, this is what we're doing and this is what we're doing. And then I get out to my car and I think, what in the world am I saying? I feel double dumb. You know, and people say, are you sure that's what God said? And I said, I'm pretty sure. I'm really hopeful. Have you ever had those moments where you just said, I, this is the way God's leading me, and then you get to halfway down the road, and you're going, oh, baby, I don't know about this one. You know, we're going to have 1,000 people on our grand opening. That's a big statement. That's a lot of cars. It's a lot of people on a building that we're untested. But we're going to believe God for it, and we're going to work toward that end. And I want to be able to get up and say to you, we have 1,000 people. You say, what if we don't? Well, then I'll settle for 1,100. <laughs> Amen? Amen. Why not believe God for great things? Why not see what God can do? Where is the Lord God of Elijah? When he struck the water, it was divided this way and that, and Elisha crossed over. Here's the first thing I want to say to you. You need to cross the river. You know what a river is? It's a transition. Rivers in the Bible always mark a transition. We've had a number of transitions in Scripture, and we've seen them, and we've seen, had a number of transitions in the life of our church where we went from a living room to a, to a business park to a, a charter school, then over here, and this move will be our fifth move in 22 months. We've had a lot of transitions. They mark a, a new level of understanding of what's required of us. This move here required a lot. It required setting up and picking up and taking it down in a really short amount of time. That new transition to that new building is going to require a lot of us as well. But I want you to see what's happening in the story. Elijah to Elisha. In, in verse 2, he says to him in Gilgal, stay here. Seems odd, doesn't it? This prophet that's following him, stay here. Don't go with me. I don't want you to. And why is he doing that? Because I think he's trying to say to him, I want to see if you're serious about God. You know, sometimes God lets you stay where you are to see if you're serious enough to push through and say, no, God, I'm not content with that. That's not enough, God. You've got to be jealous for God. 
jealous for his presence, jealous for his spirit, longing after, searching after God and say, God, I want you more than anything. Like the psalmist in 42 says, as the deer pants after the water brook, so pants my soul after thee, O God, the living God. When shall I stand before thy face? My tears have been my only food both day and night. He was hungry for God. We have to get hungry for God. In Gilgal, he says, stay here, verse 2. In Bethel, verse 4, he says, stay here. Bethel, that place that means in the Hebrew, the house of God. Stay here in the house of God. You'll be fine in the house of God. I think sometimes we think, well, I'm going to church. I'm doing what's required of me, aren't I? No, just going to church, it's not it. It's not enough. You want to pursue God with all your heart and all your mind and all your soul and all your strength. Then they get down there to Jericho, and he says, stay here. The place of the battle, stay here. Remember Jericho? They crossed over. Remember, they crossed over the Jordan. They came into Jericho. It was the first place of the campaign of the Israelites and their victory. And what did they have to do? They had to completely trust God. God says, walk around Jericho one time each day for six days, and on the seventh day, you walk around seven times. Talk about foolish. You want me to do what? And don't make any noises either, by the way. And just don't get all excited about this. You just walk around it and see what I'm going to do. You see, sometimes God walks you in circles in silence to see if you're willing to trust him. You get impatient and say, well, I guess God's not coming through. How many times did Jesus have to tell us in Luke chapter 11, Luke chapter 18, there's a, there, the, the, the parables about persistence about hanging in there, that, that one where he comes at midnight, he knocks on the door, he says, I need bread, he says, go away. And, and he finally, he gives it to him because of his persistence. The widow in Luke 18, she, she wants her justice for her son, and the, the judge, he doesn't care. And finally, he just gives her what she wants because of persistence. And God's saying, if the sons of darkness can pursue uh, justice in that way, why don't you? Why don't you seek after it? And then in Jordan, he doesn't tell him to stay by the Jordan. You know why? Because Jordan is moving. Jordan's always on the move. And God says, you know what? And, and Elijah says to Elisha here, you just keep moving. I, you've got it. You've, you've passed the test three times now. But here's something I've noticed. Have you ever noticed how skeptics appear from nowhere? Sometimes they're your best friends. Sometimes they're in your family. And they'll say to you, well, you know, I don't know if I'm going to, you, you really think God's going to do that? Well, I'm not going to stop believing. I'm not going to, I refuse to doubt. I'm going to do what God says to do. I'm going to trust him. And if God doesn't come through, then it's on him. Not on me, it's on him. God, I did what you told me to do. Why didn't you show up? That's your issue, not my issue. I did my part, you do your part. Bold, brazen faith. But skeptics will appear in verse 3. They appeared in Bethel. Sons of the prophets, they showed up and they said, nah, nah, nah. Hey, where is, do you know what's going to happen to Elijah, your master? And the only response you can do when those around you are trying to, to, to take your faith apart is say, be quiet. Don't listen to them. And then it happens again. You'll notice it happens in, uh, in verse 5 in Jericho. It said that in Jericho, the sons of the prophets showed up. Don't you know your master is going to go away? He says, be quiet. You know what happens when you give ear to skepticism and doubt? It affects you 
mentally, physically, and spiritually. The words of your mouth are either life or death, Proverbs 18 tells us. When you start listening to doubt, you start to assimilate doubt, and you start living out doubt in your life. When people tell, when I make a faith proclamation and people start taking apart my faith, I say, hey, I just prefer that you take your doubt somewhere else. Thank you very much. I love you, but take it somewhere else. Take it somewhere where you think it's going to be productive. Because there's nothing productive about doubt but only faith. And then in verse 7, they stood at the Jordan, and here's 50 sons of the prophets, and it says they're facing them. Hebrew means they're staring them down. They just kind of stare you down. God's not coming through. I don't know where your God is. Why are you trusting God? Why are you doing that? Why are you doing that? And he says, just staring them down. Just staring them down. Stay close to the power. Verse 2, I will not leave you. Verse 4, I will not leave you. Verse 6, I will not leave you. He repeated it three times. Every time Elijah said it, he said, I'm not leaving you. I'm not leaving you. I'm not leaving you. I'm not going anywhere. You can shake me, rattle me up and down, around and around, but I'm not going anywhere. Secondly, ask for the ridiculous. Now, here's what I love about this story. The backstory of this is 1 Kings chapter 19. And in 1 Kings chapter 19, we see Elijah meets up with Elisha. And guess what Elisha's doing? He's plowing with oxen. Now, I've never plowed with oxen. Anybody here ever done that? But you know what? It doesn't seem like it's the best view in town. It said he was plowing with 12 oxen. So all day long, all he looked at was oxen's rear end. I don't think it was a pleasant smell. It wasn't a pleasant sight. And all of a sudden, God finds this prophet, Elisha, there behind the oxen, pulling, right, plowing, and Elijah shows up to him, and guess what he does in chapter 19 and verse 19? He takes off his mantle, and he puts it over Elisha. Because God told him earlier, you're going to anoint him to be the prophet, All day long, the prophet-to-be wore this anointing in his heart. It wasn't yet revealed fully what it was going to be. Can I say, you don't have to wait for somebody to confirm that what God is doing in your life, he is already doing it. He's waiting for you to come to the realization of what he is doing in your life. God is working right now in your life. He's waiting for you to say, Okay, I'm ready, God. I see it. I understand it. All day long, when you finally have had enough at looking at the back end of an oxen, you'll be ready to follow God. Do you hear me? When you're tired of looking at the back of an oxen, you'll be ready to follow God with all your heart. But you see, what happens is we get content. We get content with a bad view of God. We get content of a bad view of faith, and we think that's all there is. Chained to the ordinary, we never see the supernatural. It's time to break free to the life that God has given us to live. You see, God will leave you behind the ox until you're ready to change. Well, don't you think God in his sovereignty and his time, he's going to just kind of miraculously move me out? No, God's waiting for you. God's waiting for you to get tired. If If you're content behind the ox, God will leave you behind the ox. Your whole life. Well, what if I, my divine purpose, my divine destiny, he's not plucking you out against your will. He's waiting for you to step up and see what he can do in your life. 
Jeremiah chapter 33 and verse 3 says this, Call unto me, and I will answer you. And I will tell you great and mighty things which you don't know. Have you stopped long enough to go, God, I need to call on you, and I need you to show me something because I don't know what to do next. How about Psalm 81 and verse 10? If uh, It says, I, the Lord, am your God who brought you up from the land of Egypt. Open your mouth wide, and I will fill it. Open your mouth wide, and I will fill it. You remember if you've got a little baby, you remember when you fed a little baby? You get that little spoon, you get that little Gerber stuff, that's that pre-chewed food, remember? You get that little spoon, and what does that little baby do? That little mouth goes open. You can't believe how big that mouth can get. And, and you know, it's always fun to taunt babies. You know, you take that little spoon, you go back and forth, and their little mouth's going like this. You know, and then you come in, and then you pull it back. Push it in, pull it out. Then they get a taste of the, of the green beans and they spit it out, right? Here's what God says, open your mouth wide. I'm going to fill it. What if I only open my mouth halfway? Then he'll fill that. What if I don't open my mouth at all? He's not filling it at all. He says, open your mouth wide and I will fill it. This was a famous verse. This was the favorite verse of a guy named George Mueller who had orphanages in England. And in the, in the 1800s, this man would believe God, would trust God for the, for the needs of these orphans. And in his lifetime, he had been given over $7 million in 1800. All right? Not in today's money, in 1800. So, so successful was he in seeing God come through that he funded another missionary, a guy by the name of Hudson Taylor, who founded China Inland Mission. And he just sit, simply would get the orphans down. They would all sit down. They would be, begin to pray. And they would, he would read this scripture. I am the Lord your God who brought you up from the land of Egypt. Open your mouth wide and I will fill it. And he would tell all the orphans, open your mouth wide because they didn't have food and they were hungry. Open your mouth wide and God will fill it. And miraculously, time after time, there would be a knock on the door at that very moment. And someone would say, I was led of the Spirit to come and provide for your home. I think when we start opening our mouth wide, God gets ready to respond and to move in. In Matthew 17, in verse 20, it says this, Truly, truly, I say unto you, if you have faith, just the size of a mustard seed, you may say to this mountain, move from here to there, and it shall move, and nothing, nothing will be impossible for you. Did God mean that? If he didn't mean it, did Jesus lie to us? That's what he said. I take that verse and say, that's what you said. I'm holding you to the promises of God. I want to see you move. I want to see you work in my life. I want to see you do the miraculous. And then I want you to see what's going on here. It says strike the water. Just simply strike the water. Don't hesitate. Have you ever, have you ever had one of these moments where you think, if I go public with what I'm believing God for and God doesn't come through, I'm going to look like a fool. Anybody ever felt like that? Raise your hand. Let's see. Okay, and all the rest of you, you just went public and never worried about it, right? Some of you won't raise your hands for anything. I'm not going to raise my hands all here. How many of you, I'm going to ask it again, how many of you have ever been afraid to go public with what you believe in God for because you think if God doesn't come through, you're going to look, like, look foolish? Raise your hand. Oh, it's, look how much repentance there was in that. 
Let's try it one more time. Three times, and I think we're going to get the rest of you to raise your hand. You're so afraid you're going to worship with that hand up. Now, okay, how many of you would say that if I just, uh, I've been afraid to go public because if I go public and God doesn't come through, I look foolish. Now, raise your hand. Let me see. Now, hold them up. Now, look around. Who around you does not have their hand up? Tell them, let me learn from you. Let me learn. Just look at them. Let me learn from you. You must believe God for everything, and he comes through. Hey, I can't tell you how many times I felt like I was going to be foolish. And I said, I'd rather be a fool for God than a fool for Phil. Amen? I'd rather trust God and just look foolish than not trust God at all. Don't hesitate to, to strike the water. If you notice that story there in, in Kings... Elisha doesn't wait. He picks up the mantle. He walks over the Jordan. He strikes the Jordan. And he says, where is the Lord God of Elijah? Trust God. Act and God will act. Act and God will act. When you step out of your comfort zone, humanly speaking, you're going to see God act on your behalf. You're going to see God do something Really, really amazing. Third, miracles attract bugs. They do. It's funny how when God starts to work, the skeptics show back up. They show back up and they say, oh, I, you know, I, I knew God was going to do that. Oh, Pastor Phil, I just, man, I love your teaching. I just want to follow after you. Thank you so much. And I'm thinking... What, where did you come from? Where, weren't you the guy who didn't believe God could do something? So what happens here when Elijah picks up the mantle? It says here in 2 Kings chapter 2 and verse 15, Now the sons of the prophets who were from Jericho saw him, and they said the spirit of Elijah rests on him. These were the guys that were staring him down. You know, I think the spirit of God is on him. I think God's doing something there. And they came to meet him and they bowed to the ground before him. I look at that and I go, isn't it amazing when miracles happen, the bugs appear? You wonder. I want to be a man of faith all the days of my life. I don't want to be the person who shows up and I go, well, I guess God can do that. I want to be the guy who says all along God is doing that. I want to be the person that looks in your life and says, I, when you tell me something you're trusting God for, I want to look you in the face and say, I'm believing God with you for that. I don't want to be the skeptic. And I tell you, there have been times in my life where somebody's told me something and I thought to myself, oh, man, I hope God does that. I don't know how God's going to do that. And, and, you know, and, and I'm believing God for this. And I'm thinking, oh, man, you're crazier than I am. We have to engender a community of faith with one another. We have to build one another up in the faith so that we trust God and we don't become the bugs that show up on the light pole when the light's turned on. But we're the people that are there constructing the light pole for people. We're putting paint on the light pole. We're changing the bulb. We're increasing the, the wattage. We're, we're trusting God. We're going to see what God can do for his glory. Amen? Let's stand together and pray. As we stand together, I, I want to just take a moment I, and I want to just kind of talk to you in, 
and let you pray as we talk, as we just bow our heads before him. Where's your faith right now? What, what level is your faith on? Would you be like one of the sons of the prophets who always is a bearer of bad news and always a bearer of doubt? Would you be like Elisha? Maybe you'd pray something like this, God, give me Elijah kind of faith. Give me Elijah kind of courage, God. God, I've been functioning on a low level of faith, and God, I I want you to give me a double portion of your spirit this morning. I want a faith to believe you, God. I want a faith to trust you, God. I want to stand strong, God, when I'm stared down by the, even if it's the, the 50 prophets that come out from from Jericho. Becoming a man or a woman, a boy or girl of faith doesn't just instantly happen. You're not born that way. You have to make a choice. Would you choose step away from the oxen and lay your hand on the mantle of faith? If you don't know the Lord Jesus Christ, you've never come to him in faith. You're not really, maybe you've been religious, maybe you've been a churchgoer. But you don't really know for certain that if you died today, you'd go to heaven. Can I ask you to do this? Can I ask you to pray a very simple prayer? It's your prayer, it's your faith. A prayer like this one. And you can just repeat it in your own heart. You can repeat it out loud. You can repeat it just quietly to yourself. But it goes like this. Dear Lord Jesus, I know that I'm a sinner, that I've done wrong in my life. And I believe that you, Jesus, died on the cross for me, for my sins. I believe you were buried and you rose from the dead to give me life. You tell me in your word that all who call upon the name of the Lord will be saved will be born again, will be changed by your spirit. I want that promise to be a part of my life. So save me, Lord Jesus, right now. Give me the gift of eternal life. And now just thank him. If that was your prayer, would you just thank him in your own heart right now? Thank you, Jesus, for saving my soul. Thank you, Jesus, for giving me the gift of eternal life. Thank you, Jesus, for writing my name in the Lamb's book of life. You may not know what all that means. You may be brand new in the faith. You may be unaware of Scripture. But I want you to know God loves you with an everlasting love. And He wants to spend eternity with you. If that was your prayer today, would you just just look up this way? Just everybody else look down. Would you just look up this way? God bless you. God bless you, guys. Anyone else? God bless you. Amen. Amen. God has written your name in his book. You are eternally saved. 10, 15 heads went up and looked me in the face in this auditorium alone. The Bible says there's more rejoicing in heaven over one soul who repents than over 99 who do not need to. When you come to Jesus, when you come to him in salvation, you come to the water of life. You come to the very throne of God who says, I love you with an everlasting love. 
and I have your best interests in mind. And as you cultivate that life relationship with God, He's going to make Himself more and more real to you. He's going to show you how to walk closer and nearer to Him. And sometimes when you know what to do, you just kind of fall back in His arms and say, just love me more, Jesus. Just love me more. Show me the way. Show me the way. If you're a Christian and your, your faith has been lagging a little bit, can I ask you this? Can I ask you just to take a big step forward and say, God, I'm tired of baby steps with my faith. I need to take a big leap and a jump, a giant faith step. I don't know what, it, what area it might be. It might be in a relationship. It might be in a vocational situation. It might be in, you know, just something that's happening at school. But I want you to take a big step today. Say, God, I'm taking a big step. One that doesn't even make sense. Like, like Elisha asking for the ridiculous. Give me a double portion of your spirit. I'm asking for the ridiculous, God. And I'm putting you at your word that you said I can spade to that mountain, be picked up and moved, and it'll move. Let's see some mountains move. Amen. Do you want to, how many of you want to see a mountain move? Let's give God the glory. We want to see some mountain move. Just give Him the glory. Amen. Every clap of your hand is a signal of faith. Give God the glory. God, every time I clap these hands, God, it's your glory. It's faith. It's faith. It's faith. Give God the glory. Let's sing unto Him right now and give God the glory. Amen.